Chapter 4 of Under Wellington's Command by G. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Charles Sapp. Under Wellington's Command by G. Henty. Chapter 4 Gorillas. The marches were short, as many of the prisoners were still weak and and indeed among their guard were many convalescents who had recently been discharged from the hospital at toledo and who were going back to france the little column was accompanied by four wagons two of which were intended for the conveyance of any who should prove unable to march and the others were filled with provisions for consumption by the way together with a few tents as many of the villages that would be their halting places were too small to afford accommodation for the four hundred men even if every house was taken up for the purpose although the first day's march was only twelve miles the two empty wagons were quite full before they reached their halting place and many of the guard had placed their guns and cartridge boxes on the other carts it was now the middle of august and the heat in the valley of the tagus was overpowering the convoy however had marched at six in the morning and halted at eight in the shade of a large olive wood and did not continue its march until five in the afternoon the night was so warm that the english prisoners and many of their guards preferred lying down in the open and throwing the blanket with which each had been furnished over him to keep off the dew to going into the stuffy cottages where the fleas would give them little chance of rest on the third day they arrived at the village of esquiral the next morning they began to mount the pass over the sierra and slept that night in an empty barracks at segovia here they left the main road leading through valladolid and took one more to the east stopping at small villages until they arrived at aranda on the duro thence they marched due north to gaymanal they were now on the main road to the frontier passed through miranda and zadora and began to ascend the slopes of the pyrenees the marches had for some days been considerably longer than when they first started the invalids had gained strength and having no muskets to carry were for the most part able to march eighteen or twenty miles without difficulty four had been left behind in hospital at segovia but with these exceptions all had greatly benefited by steady exercise and an ample supply of food they were now on the main road to the frontier passed through miranda and zadora and began to ascend the slopes of the pyrenees the marches had for some days been considerably longer than when they first started the invalids had gained strength and having no muskets to carry were for the most part able to march eighteen or twenty miles without difficulty four had been left behind in hospital at segovia but with these exceptions all had greatly benefited by steady exercise and an ample supply of food i could do a good deal of travelling in this way one of the officers said as they marched out from miranda just enough exercise to be pleasant no trouble about baggage or route or where one is to stop for the night nothing to pay and everything managed for you what could one want for more we could do with a little less dust dick ryan said with a laugh but we cannot expect everything unfortunately there will be an end to our marching and not a very pleasant one terence said at present one scarcely recognizes that one is a prisoner the french officers certainly do all in their power to make us forget it 
and their soldiers and ours tried their best to hold some sort of conversation together. I feel that I am making great progress in French, and it's especially jolly when we halt for the night and get the bivouac fires burning and chat and laugh at the French officers as though we were the best friends in the world. The march was indeed conducted in a comfortable and easy fashion. At starting, the prisoners marched four abreast, and the French two abreast at each side. But before a mile had been passed, the order was no longer strictly observed, and the men trudged along, smoking their pipes, laughing and talking, the French and English alternatively breaking into a marching song. There was no fear of the prisoners trying to escape. They could at night have got away from their guards easily enough, but there was nowhere for them to go if they had done so. The English, smarting from the cruelty and ill-faith of the inhabitants of Talavera and the Spanish authorities, felt a burning hatred of the Spanish, while the Spaniards on their side, deceived by the lying representations of their juntas, had no love whatever for the English, though ready enough to receive money and arms from them. On leaving Zadora, the French officer in command said to Terence, Now, Colonel, we shall have to be more careful during our marches, keeping a sharp lookout at night. The country here is infested by guerrillas, whom all our efforts cannot eradicate. The mountains of Navarre and Biscay are full of them. Sometimes they are in the bands of fifteen or twenty strong, sometimes they are in hundreds. Some of them are at ordinary times goatherds, shepherds, muleteers, and peasants, but a number of them are disbanded soldiers, the remains of armies we have defeated and broken up, and who would prefer this wild life in the mountains to returning to their homes. Our convoys are constantly attacked and have always to be accompanied by a strong guard. As we have no wagons with us, I should think that they would hardly care to molest us, Terence said. That threatens it less likely, certainly, Colonel, but they fight from hatred as much as for booty, and no French soldier who falls into their hands is ever spared. Generally, they are put to death with atrocious tortures. At first there was no such feeling here, and when my regiment was quartered at Victoria some three years ago, things were quiet enough. You see, the feeling gradually grew. No doubt some of our men plundered. Many of the regiments were composed of young conscripts with very slight notions of discipline. Those from the country districts were, as a rule, quiet lads enough. But among those from the towns, especially such places as Toulouse, Lyon, and Marcel, were young scoundrels ready for any wickedness, and it is to these that the troubles we now have are largely due. Of course, the peasants, when they were able to do so, retaliated upon these marauders. The feeling of hatred grew on both sides. Straggling parties of our men were surrounded, captured, and then hung, shot, or burnt alive. Then on our side, villages were destroyed and the peasants shot down. Lately, that is, after the defeats of their armies, numbers of fugitives took to the hills, threw away their uniforms, attained peasants' dresses, and set up as what they call guerrillas which is only another term for bandits, for although their efforts are chiefly directed against us, they do not hesitate to plunder their own people when they need provisions, and are a perfect scourge to all the villages around the hills beyond the Bay of Biscay and the Mediterranean. Of course, they are strongest along the line of communication with France, but it may be said that roughly, where there are mountains, there are guerrillas though there are but few of them among the hills we cross between the valley of the Tagus and that of the Duro. This is for two reasons. In the first place, there are very few villages, and they would have difficulty in maintaining themselves, 
and in the second place because hitherto leon and old castile and the north of the sierra have always been under different commands to that of the tagus valley and therefore there has been but small communication between them except by messengers with dispatches from madrid the passes have scarcely been used and indeed in winter they are practically altogether impassable except that along the valley of the ebro we found that to our cost when we marched with napoleon to cut off your british general moore we lost nearly two days getting through them and the delay saved your army yes it was a very close thing terence said as i have told you i was with moore and if the troops from the south had come up but six hours earlier it would have gone very hard with us it was an awful time the officer said and i think our army must have suffered quite as much as yours did Salt's force was reduced fully to half its strength when he first arrived on that hill near Karuna. Of course, the stragglers came in rapidly, but a great number never returned to their colors again. Some died of cold and hardship, others were cut off and murdered by the peasantry. Altogether, we have had an awful time of it. Your men were, in one respect, better off than ours, for your stragglers were not regarded with hostility by the peasants, whereas no mercy was shown to ours. Yes, Major, one of the battalions that fought at Talavera was entirely composed of men who had straggled in the retreat, and who afterwards succeeded in gaining the Portuguese frontier. That evening they halted for the night at a small village high up in the passes. The French officer took every precaution against surprise. Twenty sentries were placed at various points round the village, and as many more were posted in pairs three or four hundred yards farther out. At three in the morning, several shots were fired. The troops all got under arms, and parties were sent out to the outposts. At two of these posts, both the sentries were found stabbed to the heart. At others, men had been seen crawling up towards them, and the shots that had aroused the troops had been fired. The outposts were recalled to the village, and the soldiers remained under arms until morning. As soon as it was daybreak, a scattered fire opened from the hills on either side of the valley, and it was evident that these were occupied by strong parties the villagers on being questioned denied all knowledge of these bands but under threats said that they had heard that minas with a very strong force was in the neighborhood and that the impesinado had been reported to be among the hills between the pass and arrochavales what strength do you put them down at colonel the major asked terence i should say from what we have seen of them that there must be four or five hundred on each hill. They must have had information from their spies at Zadoro, Colonel, and half a dozen bands must have united to crush us. Diable! That was a good shot! he exclaimed as a shako was struck from his head by a bullet. That is the worst of these fellows. They are uncommonly good shots. You see, almost all of these mountain men are accustomed to carry guns, and the charcoal burners and sappers eke out a living by shooting game and sending it down to the towns. What are you thinking of doing, Major? I shall hold the village, the latter said. We might get through the pass, but I doubt whether we shall do so, and if we did, my men and yours would suffer terribly. Can I rely on your fellows keeping quiet? I think so. At any rate, we will all go round and order them to do so. There was, however, no necessity to impress this on the men. Two of them had already been wounded by the guerrilla's fire. Wait, sir, one of them said, if we had but muskets here, 
we would turn out and help the French to drive these fellows out. The French have behaved very well to us, while the Spaniards did their best to starve us to death, and there ain't one of us who wouldn't jump at the chance of paying them out. All right, men, said Terence, I agree with you as to the treatment you have received. However, we are not here to fight. We are prisoners, and have nothing to do with the fray one way or the other, though I don't mean to say that I should not myself be glad to see the French beat the guerrillas off. The other officers found the same spirit among the soldiers they questioned. I quite agree with them, one of the officers said, and if there were muskets handy I would not mind leading them myself, if it were not for the uniform. Sir Arthur would scarcely be pleased if, among all his other worries, he got a dispatch from the central junta complaining that a large number of innocent peasants had been killed by English troops fighting by the side of the French. Gradually, the guerrillas drew in towards the village, taking advantage of every stone and bush, and rarely giving a chance to the French infantry. Their aim was exceedingly accurate, and whenever a French soldier showed himself from behind a hut to fire, he was fortunate if he got back again without receiving a bullet. This is serious, the French major said, coming into the cottage where the English officers were gathered. I have lost thirty-eight killed and wounded already. I have had the wounded carried into the church, and some of your men are unloading the provision wagons and taking the contents inside. They have requisitioned every utensil that will hold water in the village. No doubt we shall be able to hold out there till some other detachment comes along the road. I think that it is a very good plan, Major, Terence said. They would hardly be able to carry it by assault unless they burnt down the door, and you ought to be able to prevent them from doing that. Half an hour later, the whole French force was collected in the church. As soon as the Spaniards found what had happened, they speedily entered the village and opened fire from every window giving a view of the church, and from loopholes that they quickly made in the walls. Terence noticed that, when the British soldiers entered the church, most of them carried heavy staves. A sergeant came up and saluted. We have had four men killed and eight wounded, sir. The men declare that they are not going to stand still and see the French murdered by these fellows, and I doubt if any orders will keep them back. Very well, sergeant. I will speak to them presently. Now, gentlemen, he said to the other officers, three of you are senior to me in our own army, and, though I own that I don't know how matters should stand, holding as I do Lord Beersford's commission as colonel, I am perfectly willing to place myself under the oars of whoever may be senior of you. I believe I am the senior, one of the captains said, but I should imagine that Lord Beersford's commission would, for the time, rank just as if it had been signed by our own authorities. Moreover, you are on Wellesley's staff. You have seen more surfers out here than any of us, and I think that you are certainly entitled to the command. Though, really, I don't see what we can do in our uniforms. I quite agree with you, Captain Travers, and therefore my proposal is that we shall take them off and fight in our shirt sleeves. The guerrillas will then not be able to affirm that there were any men in English uniforms assisting the French. I think the idea is an excellent one, Captain Travers said. Then in that case I will act upon it, and Terence went up to the English soldiers who were standing in a group in the middle of the church. I am sure you quite understand, my men, he said, that it would never do for you to be fighting in British uniforms against the Spaniards. Otherwise, I leave the matter in your hands, but I may mention that it is the intention of myself and the other officers to defend this church without our coats and caps. 
If any of you like to do the same, of course you can join us. I give no orders whatever on the subject, but you see that it will get rid of the inconvenience of soldiers in British uniforms fighting against the Spaniards. The men answered with a shout of satisfaction, mingled with laughter, and, in less than a minute, the scarlet uniforms had disappeared. The muskets of the French killed and wounded were appropriated, and the rest of the English prisoners seized their clubs. For some hours the fight continued, and, from the roof of the church, belfry, and windows, a hot fire answered the incessant fusillade of the Spaniards. The French and English officers were obliged constantly to impress upon the men that they must husband their ammunition, as there was no saying how long they might be besieged before a detachment, strong enough to turn the scale, arrived. Maintain a fire heavy enough to make them keep at it. Their ammunition is likely to run short as soon as ours, and there is not much chance of their being able to replenish it. But don't fire at random. Let every bullet tell. Take a steady aim at the windows through which they are firing. Late in the afternoon, the fire of the guerrillas slackened a good deal, and it was evident that their leaders were enjoining them not to waste their ammunition. As it became dark, the officers gathered again in the body of the church. The total loss had risen to 32 killed and 50 wounded, the English casualties being about a third of the whole. It is a heavy loss, the Major said, and I have noticed that, as the fire slackened, the proportion of the men has been larger. I suppose that they are only keeping the best shots at the work. I should fancy, Terence said, that if we were to make a sortie, we could scatter them all together. As soon as it gets dark, we might get out by that sacristy door at the rear. They gave up the attack on that side some time ago, as they could not get any shelter, and when they found that was so, they betook themselves to houses where they were better covered. If we were to go out noiselessly and sweep round the village so as to fall upon it in two bodies, one at each end, they will take us for a body of troops just arrived. Even if they do hear us as we go out, we can go straight at them, and should, I have no doubt, be able to clear the place with a rush. The only thing is, Major, I should be glad if your soldiers would take out their coatees too, so that there would be nothing to distinguish our men from yours. What do you think? I think that it will be much the best plan, Captain Travers said. In the first place, it is probable that they will try to burn us out tonight, and we cannot hope to prevent their piling faggots against the doors in the dark. For that reason alone, I think that it will be much better to attack them than wait for them to attack us. We need only leave some twenty of the less seriously wounded men to guard the place. When we sally out, the guerrillas will have plenty to do without making an attack on the church. I certainly think that we are not likely to lose so many lives in a sortie as we should do in the defense here against a night attack. I certainly am of your opinion, Colonel, the French major said, and if you and your man will join us, I have no doubt that we shall be able to clear the village. As soon as it became quite dark, the men on the roof were all called down, with the exception of one or two, who were ordered to continue to fire from various spots there and in the belfry, so that the Spaniards should not discover that the garrison had been withdrawn. Then the French were drawn up and divided into two parties. The English who had muskets were told off in equal numbers to each of these parties, as were those who had nothing but their clubs. The Major then ordered his soldiers to take out their coats and to leave their shackles behind them. The French major took the command of one party and asked Terence to take command of the other. This he declined. 
No, sir, it is better that one of your own officers should be in command. We will divide ourselves between the two parties. The major now impressed upon his men the necessity for absolute quiet and for marching as lightly and silently as possible. The English officers gave similar instructions to their men. It was arranged that, when the door was opened, the two parties should issue out simultaneously, two abreast, so that if the alarm were given before all were out, they would be able to turn right and left and attack in both directions at once. A French lieutenant was appointed to remain in the church and command the little garrison of wounded men. Those who sallied out were to stoop low as they went and were to keep a few paces apart. Some hangings in the church were pulled down and torn up into strips, with which the men were directed to muffle their boots. There was no mistake in the ardor with which the soldiers prepared for the sortie. Both English and French were indignant at being pent up by a foe they thoroughly despised, and were eager to be at the enemy. The casualties added to their wrath. One of the French officers had been killed, and another hurt seriously, while three of the English had also been wounded, though in each case but slightly. The bolts of the door were noiselessly drawn, and that of the lock forced back. Then the two little parties stole out, in the order in which they had been directed. The guerrillas had just begun to fire heavily as a prelude, Terence had no doubt, to a serious attack upon the church. Fortunately, there were no houses at the back of the church, and no shout indicated that the party were seen. They were therefore kept together until fifty or sixty yards from the door. Then they separated and continued their way to the ends of the village to which they had been respectively assigned. Then at one end of the village, a French trumpeter sounded the charge, and two drummers at the other beat the same order. Vigorously and with loud cheers, they rushed down the street, the French and English alike shouting. It had been arranged that, while the French held their way straight on, shooting down the Spaniards as they poured out into the street, the British should break up into small detachments, burst their way into the houses, and overpowered the enemy there. They found the first houses they entered deserted, and the soldiers uttered exclamations of impatience as they heard the heavy roll of firing in the main street. As they approached the center of the village, however, they came upon a number of the Spaniards rushing from their houses. The men who had arms opened fire at once upon them, while those with clubs dashed forward, leveling the panic-stricken guerrillas to the ground with their heavy blows, and arming themselves with their muskets and bandoliers. Thus, the firing soon became general, and the Spaniards, struck with utter dismay and believing that they had been attacked by a heavy column that had just arrived, speedily took to headlong flight, most of them throwing away their arms as they fled. In some of the houses there were short but desperate conflicts, but in a quarter of an hour after the first shot was fired, there was not a guerrilla remaining alive in the village, upwards of a hundred and fifty having been killed, while on the side of their assailants only some fifteen had been killed and twenty-eight wounded. They soon formed up in the street, and were told off in parties of twelve to the houses in the outskirts of the village. Three in each party were to keep watch by turns while the rest slept. An English officer was to remain in charge on one side of the street, and a French officer on the other. The rest went back to the church, whose doors were now thrown open. "'I thank you most heartily, gentlemen,' the French officer said to Terence and to the other British officers. For the immense service that you have rendered us, had it not been for your aid, our position would have been a very precarious one before morning. As it is, I think we need fear no further interruption. 
we are now all armed, and as with the wounded fit for work, we are still three hundred strong. We should beat off any force likely to attack us, though indeed I have no belief that they will rally again. At any rate, their losses have been extremely heavy, and the streets were completely strewn with guns, so that I doubt whether half of those who got away have carried their weapons with them. The next morning, indeed, it was found that in all about four hundred muskets had been left behind. All that remained over, after arming the British soldiers, were broken up and thrown down the wells. Enough provisions were collected among the houses to furnish the whole with three or four days' rations. The dead were buried in a field near the village. Those wounded too severely to march were placed in the wagons, and the rest, who had now resumed their uniforms, sat out in high spirits. They were in the same order as before, but the prisoners were told to carry their muskets at the trail, while the friends shouldered theirs, so that, viewed from a distance, the British should appear unarmed. That has been a grand bit of excitement, Terence, Dick Ryan said gleefully to his friend as they marched along together. Those fellows certainly fight a good deal more pluckily than the regular troops do. It was a capital idea to make all the men take off their uniforms, for I don't suppose the Spaniards, even for a moment, dreamt that we were amongst their assailants. At any rate, they have no proof that we were. You really must get me at your adjutant, Terence. I see there is very much more fun to be got out of your sort of fighting than there is with the regiment. I am very pleased now that I stuck to Portuguese as you advised me, though it was a great bore at first. I hope, Dicky, we shan't find, when we get back in the spring, that the corps has been turned over to Beersford as part of his regular command, for I must say that I quite appreciate the advantage of independence. While this sort of business ought to do us some good, no doubt the Major will report in warm terms the assistance we have rendered him, and we shall get good treatment. Of course, some of their prisons must be better than others, and, if they will confine us in some place near the frontier, instead of marching us half through France, it will make it all the easier for us to get away. It is not the getting out of the prison that is the difficulty, but the traveling through the country. I am getting on well with my French, but there is no hope of being able to speak well enough to pass as a native. As for you, you will have to keep your mouth shut altogether, which will be mightily difficult. You will manage it somehow, Terence. I have no fear of you getting me through the country. It is getting out of the country that seems to me the difficulty. There is one thing, Dicky. We need be in no hurry about it. There is little chance of fighting beginning for another six or seven months, and directly we come out to the end of our march, wherever it may be, we must begin to pick up as much French as we can from our guards. In three or four months I ought, at least, to be able to answer questions, not perhaps in good French, but in French as good as, say, a Savoyard workman or musician might be able to muster. Oh, Lord, Dick Ryan said with a deep sigh. You don't mean to say that I must begin to work on another language just after I have been slaving for the last six months at Portuguese. Not unless you like, Dickie. I can either start alone or with someone else who has some knowledge of French, but I'm not going to run the risk of being recaptured by taking someone with me who cares so little for liberty that he grudges three or four hours' work a day to get at the means of making his escape. Oh, of course I shall learn. Ryan said pettishly. You always get your own way, Terence. It was so with Athlon. You first of all began by asking my opinion, and then carried out things exactly as you proposed yourself. 
Learning the language is a horrid nuisance, but I see that it has to be done. I expect, Dickie, you will have to make up as a woman. You see, you are not much taller than a tallish woman. Well, that would be rather a lock, Ryan said. Only don't you think I should be almost too good looking for a French woman? You might be that, Dickie. It is certainly a drawback. If I could get hold of a good-sized monkey skin, I might sew you up in it. A bear skin would be better, I should say, Dick laughed, but I don't think anyone would think that it was a real bear. I saw a chap with one once at Athlone. No man could open his mouth as wide as that beast did, and as to his tongue, it would be four times as long as mine. Now, I think the woman idea would be best, but I should have to shave very close. Shave? Terence repeated scornfully. Why, I could not see any hair on your face with a magnifying glass. If that were the only drawback, the matter could be arranged without difficulty. Without farther adventure, they crossed the mountains and came down to Bayonne. At each halting place, where the French troops were stationed, the British prisoners were received with warm hospitality by them. When they learned from their comrades that the British had fought side by side with the French against the guerrillas, and had saved them from what might have been a very serious disaster. The French shook hands with them warmly, patted them on the shoulders, with many exclamations of, Brave Garcons! And they were led away to cafes, and treated as the heroes of the day, while the officers were entertained by those of the garrison. At Bayonne, they and their escort parted on the most cordial terms. The French exclaimed that it was a shame such brave fellows should be held prisoners and that they ought to be released at once, and sent back in a ship with a flag of troops to Portugal. The Major, after handing over the soldiers to the prison authorities, took Terence and the other British officers to the headquarters of the governor of the town, and introduced them to him, giving him a lively account of the fight with the guerrillas, and the manner in which the prisoners, armed only with clubs and the muskets of the soldiers no longer able to use them, had made common cause with the French, and, joining them in the sortie, defeated the Spanish with heavy loss. The governor expressed courteously his thanks to the officers for the part they had taken. I shall forward Major Marseille's report to headquarters, gentlemen, and shall be happy to give you the liberté of the town on parole. I have no doubt that, if no other good comes of your adventure, you will be placed among an early list of officers to be exchanged. I am very much obliged to you, General, Terence said but I and Lieutenant Ryan would prefer not to give our parole. I don't say we are likely to make our escape, but at any rate, we should like to be able to take any opportunity if we saw one. The general smiled. Of course, it must be as you like, sir, but I think that you are wrong. However, at any time, if you like to change your minds, I will give instructions to the officer in command of the prison to release you. Immediately you give your parole not to leave the town. The matter had been talked over on the march, and the others now expressed their willingness to give their parole. They had told Terence they thought he was wrong, and that it would be impossible to make an escape, as it would be necessary to traverse either the whole of Spain or the whole of France before he could find any means of rejoining the army, and that before long they might be exchanged. I don't think there is a prospect of an early exchange, Terence said. There cannot have been many prisoners taken during this short campaign and I don't suppose there will be any talk of exchanges for some time to come. I am particularly anxious to get back again, if I possibly can, and I'm afraid that my regiment will be broken up, and that unless I get back before the campaign begins in spring, I shall not get the command again. 
so I mean to get away if I can. Anyhow, I would just as soon be in prison as walking about the streets of Bayonne, so I have quite made up my mind not to give my parole. The officers all returned to the prison quarters assigned to them, the difference being that those on parole could go in and out as they chose, and could, at will, take their meals in the town, while Terence and Ryan were placed together in a room, with a sentry at the door, whose instructions were to accompany them wherever they wished to go beyond the door and to walk in the prison yard or on the wall surrounding it. End of chapter 4 Recording by Charles Sapp